And let's ask for his help now in prayer, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we come to you again together in prayer this evening, and we ask for your help as we come again to your word. We ask for the help of your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you illumine our minds so we can understand these words you have inspired? And would you soften our hearts so that we can receive these truths? And give us also your enabling grace so that we can live in light of them for the glory of Christ. We pray in his name, amen. Romans chapter 10, reading verses five through eight. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, And in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Let's look first together at what Paul says about righteousness based on the law. If you look at the first half of verse 5, you'll notice that Paul refers there to the righteousness that is based on the law. Now, he had just referred to this in the previous verse, verse 4, where he said, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of obeying the law for your righteousness, for your right standing before the God, the judge. That's what he's referring to in verse 5 when he says righteousness based on the law. That's what many of the Jews tried to attain to. Remember back up in verse 3, Paul said there, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And in verse 31 of the previous chapter, Paul said, But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. And all of that is what Paul's referring to when he says the righteousness that is based on the law. It's trying to establish your own righteousness by your own obedience to the law. And Paul says that Moses writes about that in the Old Testament, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And he's referring to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, which reads, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. If that phrasing sounds familiar to you, it's in other parts of Scripture too. For example, Paul quotes that same verse in Galatians 3, where he's contrasting the law and faith as a means of justification. He says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, quote, the one who does them 
shall live by them. All of this is what we might call the covenant of works principle. The covenant of works principle that continues after the fall. So before the fall, God had made a covenant of works with Adam. That if he disobeyed, he would get death. And by implication, if he obeyed, he would get life. If he did the works, he'd live. If he didn't, he wouldn't. And of course, we know he disobeyed and plunged himself and all mankind into the depths of sin and death. But that covenant of works principle, obey God and you get life, that continues in a sense after the fall. So that it is theoretically possible, even if practically impossible, to get life by doing the commandments. To attain righteousness that is based on the law. The only problem is we, we can't do that because of our sin. Like the Jews, we cannot succeed in reaching that law. This is what Jesus was getting at with the lawyer in Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. That is the covenant of works principle. Obey the commandments and you'll get life. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. That is the righteousness that is based on the law that Paul is talking about. But Paul's whole point here is that no one can get righteousness through the law. The righteousness that we need and that we lack, we can't get it by works. We can only get it by faith. We cannot establish our own righteousness. We can only submit to God's righteousness, to the gift of the righteousness of Christ that we receive by faith. This is one of the most basic tenets of the Christian faith and also one of the most controversial teachings of Christianity, that no one is righteous in themselves. We are all of us sinners in need of a Savior That's the nail that Paul drives home again and again back in chapter 3. If you turn back to chapter 3 for just a second, I want to read this passage together where you can just listen to it with verse after verse quoted from the Old Testament. Chapter 3, starting at verse 10, with the quote in verse 10 there, Paul says, none is righteous. And again, think of how controversial this is. Think of how contrary this is to uh, the way our culture thinks and, and perhaps even our, in our own hearts we sometimes think. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. And listen to what he says next. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Not Through the law comes righteousness and salvation, but through the law comes knowledge of sin and the need of salvation. You can't get righteousness from the law of God through works. We can only get it from the Son of God through faith. Like Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, a couple things we can learn from this. First of all, this is one of the reasons why Jesus had to be fully human as well as fully divine in order to save us. He had to be born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law, Galatians 4. He was born under the legal requirements of the covenant of works, and he kept the covenant of works. He kept the law perfectly for us. He succeeded where Adam failed. He obeyed where Adam disobeyed. He stood where Adam fell. From the moment of conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary to his final breath on the cross of Calvary, Jesus kept the law of God and fulfilled all righteousness. He was fully human as well as fully divine, born under the requirement of the covenant of works. And he succeeded where Adam failed, where all of us have failed. He was born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. Secondly, I think this whole thing really humbles us at the beginning of the Christian life and should keep us humble all throughout the Christian life. This fact that we cannot attain righteousness that is based on the law, we cannot do the commandments in order to live by them. Right at the beginning of the Christian life, really in order to become a Christian, we have to come to grips with the fact that we fall short of the glory of God. We have to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are sinners in the sight of God. It is humbling in a very good way to say to God, I can't do it. I haven't done it. I could never do it, and I need you to do it for me. This reality humbles us at the beginning of the Christian life, but it should also keep us humble all throughout the Christian life, shouldn't it? Because we know that every day we fall short of the glory of God. We still cannot keep the law of God perfectly. We break the law of God daily in thought, word, and deed. And the law of God humbles us and we are reminded of our need of Christ. Even as we obey the law of God more and more as we grow in Christ, we also see more and more clearly how far we still have to go. And like a soldier crawling as low as he can across no man's land between the trenches 
we start out low and we stay low all through the Christian life in light of this. So this humbles us at the beginning of the Christian life and should keep us humble all throughout the Christian life. It should keep us really dependent upon Christ and on the enabling grace of his spirit. Third takeaway from this first part, when we read at the end of verse five that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, shall live by them, I think it should be an occasion for us to remember that we have life through the obedience of Christ. We have spiritual life through Christ who did the commandments for us. That's what we have in him. We are alive in him, our living head, and clothed in righteousness divine as we sing. A couple verses from Romans 5, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And verse 21 of chapter five, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Christians, we're no longer dead. We are alive. As Romans 6 puts it, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're no longer dead in sin. We were, but we are no longer We're alive in Christ now. So we should look alive. Look alive as his people. We should grow. Since living things grow, that's what they do. We should live for Christ. Again, Romans 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We have life through the obedience of Christ. We're like Lazarus who was raised from the dead and with the new life we have, we should live for Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5.15 puts it, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now what Paul does in verses six through eight is he turns from talking about the righteousness that is based on the law to talking about righteousness that is based on faith. So let's look at that now together. This is our second main point, righteousness based on faith. And he quotes from Deuteronomy to make two points essentially. First, in verses six and seven, that the righteousness based on faith focuses on what God has done, not on what we can do. That's the point of that quotation. And secondly, in verse eight, that the righteousness based on faith is in our mouth and in our heart as believers. So we'll look at those two. First, the righteousness based on faith focuses on what God has done, not on what we can do. 
In verse six, Paul says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Again, Paul's quoting from the Old Testament. And let me just mention, therefore, as an aside here, the fact that he's quoting from the Old Testament to show that the righteousness we need is based on faith reminds us that Old Testament saints were saved by faith, not by works, just as we are saved by faith and not works. There's not one way to be saved in the Old Testament through the law and another way to be saved in the New Testament through the gospel, through faith. No, there's only one way to be saved, and that's through faith in Christ. Through faith in the Christ who was to come or through faith in the Christ who already came. No matter which testament you're in, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The righteousness that is based on faith is taught in both testaments, as testified by Paul's many quotations from the Old Testament in this New Testament letter including here. But the point Paul's making here is that the righteousness based on faith focuses not on what we can do, but on what God has done. On what God has done both in the incarnation of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. That's the focus of these two quotations. First, regarding the incarnation of Christ, Paul says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Nobody can ascend into heaven. We can ascend into the sky in a plane or even into space in a spaceship. But we cannot ascend into heaven where God dwells in order to bring Christ down. But God has already done that, hasn't he? We can't bring Christ down, but he's already sent Christ down. He sent Christ down in the incarnation when he took on flesh and dwelt among us. What does our shorter catechism teach us? Kids, some of you may know the answer to this question. Number 22, how did Christ, being the son of God, become man? And the answer is, Christ, the son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. Or as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down? Not man, not us, but God. God did it. The incarnation was an act of God, not man. Like we sang about earlier, he sent his son with power to save from guilt and darkness and the grave. Wonders of grace to God belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. The incarnation was an act of God, not man. To be believed by us, not accomplished by us. It's a truth to receive and rejoice in and rest upon. 
So that's the incarnation, but there's also the resurrection. Verse seven. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. The abyss refers to death or the grave. Who will ascend into the grave in order to bring Christ's body up from the dead? Well, no man can do that. But God did it. God has done it. God raised Jesus from the dead. And the righteousness based on faith depends on God's saving act of resurrecting his own son. Man could kill Jesus, and that's what happened, but man couldn't raise Jesus. Only God could raise Jesus, and that also is what happened. Christ the Lord is risen today, and because he lives, we live. Because he is alive, we are alive in him as those who are united to him by faith. Romans 6, 4, and 5. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. As we sang earlier, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou or death hast won. Christ won the victory over death so that we could have eternal life. No one can ascend into heaven to bring Christ down, but God has already done that. And no one can descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead, but God has already done that. And the righteousness based on faith receives and rejoices in and rests upon what God has done. Two things we should note about this. First of all, when it comes to evangelism, when we're trying to share the gospel with someone, a key point we want to emphasize is that Christianity is not about having faith in ourselves and what we can do. It's about having faith in Christ and what he has done. It's about faith. Faith is key. Faith is central. But it's faith in Jesus, not in yourself. Or faith in mankind or something like that. The gospel is very clear. The gospel is very specific That salvation is by faith in Christ. And it is by faith alone in Christ alone. The righteousness based on the law revolves around us and what we can do. The righteousness based on faith revolves around Christ and what he has done. And when we're trying to share the gospel with someone, that's a key point we want to make sure to emphasize. Secondly, I think we can take from verses 6 and 7 here a reminder that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Man cannot ascend into heaven to bring Christ down. Man cannot descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and he has done what we can't do. 
He has sent Christ down to earth from heaven and he has brought Christ up from the dead. All for us and for our salvation and for the glory of his name. What is impossible with man is possible with God. I wonder what situation you may be facing in your own life right now where you need to hear those words. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Maybe you're facing a difficulty that is just beyond you. It's too hard for you. It's, it's overwhelming. You can't see a way out, a way forward. And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to lose heart. Well, let me encourage you to take this truth to heart this evening. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. He sent his son into the world to save you. He raised his son from the dead in order to give you new life. If he can do those things, and if he has done those things, he can help you and provide for you and sustain you through whatever difficulty you may be going through. So don't lose heart. Don't let yourself remain discouraged. You have a righteousness based on faith in the God who can do all his holy will. And his will is wise and good and praiseworthy and trustworthy. So the righteousness based on faith first focuses on what God has done, not on what we can do. And secondly, the righteousness based on faith is in our mouth and in our heart. Look at verse eight. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. The word of faith is the word of God the gospel of God, the promises of God, the truth of God, the words of God. The word is near us. It's not far from us. It's in our mouth. It's in our heart. Isaiah 59, 21. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The word is near us. We don't have to go far in order to read it or hear it, do we? For us today, we can read it in our home or we can listen to it in our car as we drive. We can go to church and hear it read and preached and prayed and sung The word is near to us, and we want to be near to the word. It is in our mouth. We speak it. We quote it. We talk about it. We tell others about it. We hear others tell us about it. We hear sermons from it. We have conversations about it. But it is also in our heart. So it's not just an outward thing. It's an inward reality. 
The word of Christ dwells in us richly. The law of God is written on our hearts as believers. This is what's true of us if we have righteousness by faith. If we have renounced righteousness based on the law and we have received righteousness based on faith. We don't do the commandments in order to get life by them. Christ has already done that for us. And we focus on what he has done for us in the incarnation and the resurrection. By the grace of God, the word of God is near to us in our mouth and in our heart. Let me give three brief exhortations in light of this as we draw to a close this evening. First, read the word. Read the word. Just like food is meant to be eaten, The word of God is meant to be consumed. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. Kids, isn't that an interesting verse? Your words were found and I ate them. I ate them. So eat the words of God. Gobble them up like a Thanksgiving dinner. Soak them up like a sponge. Memorize them. Meditate on them. Keep reading the word that is near you. Don't starve your soul. Feed your soul the word of God. Secondly, speak the word. Speak the word. Share the word with others. Proclaim the word to others. Evangelize others. Tell unbelievers the message of the gospel. Disciple others. Help fellow believers to grow in the gospel. Season your conversation with the words of life. Let the word be in your mouth. Let the words sound forth from your mouth into the ears of others. Share with others what you have read in the word that has helped your own soul. Speak the word. Third and finally, cherish the word. Cherish the word of God. Love the word. Delight in the word. The first part of Jeremiah 15, 16 that I quoted a minute ago ago says, your words were found and I ate them. Then the rest of the verse says this. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Don't just read the word. Don't just speak the word. Also cherish the word. The word is near to us and it should be in our mouths, but it should also be in our hearts. We want the word of God to get into our bones, into our very being. We want it to so change us and sanctify us that we come to love it, we come to delight in it. That is a work of the spirit of God to make us love his word. In fact, that's a, a good thing for us to pray every time we sit down to read our Bibles. Last thought here. A simple prayer. Lord, please give me a love for your word. This word that is near to me, this word that is in your mouth, in my mouth, in my heart. Please give me a love for your word. And by his grace, day by day, his words will become to us a joy and the delight of our heart. Let's pray together.
God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for what your word tells us about all you have done for us to save us from our sins. We thank you for the righteousness we have from Christ that is based on faith. And we thank you that your word is near to us in our mouth and in our heart. Help us this week to read it and to share it with others and to cherish it in our hearts more and more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.